Section 25 of History of the Catholic Church from the Renaissance to the French Revolution by Reverend James McCaffrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Progress of Theological Studies. In the latter half of the 15th and the first quarter of the 16th centuries, theological studies had reached a very low ebb. The great philosophico-theological movement of the 13th century had spent its force, and it seemed highly probable that in the struggle with humanism, theology would be obliged to abandon its position of preeminence in favor of the classics. Yet, as events showed, the results of the humanism were far from being so harmful to theology as seemed likely at first. Zeal for the pagan authors of antiquity helped to stir up zeal for the writings of the fathers, new editions of which were published in various centers, while at the same time the value of the spirit of historical and literary criticism so highly prized by the devotees of humanism, was recognized by theologians and availed of largely in defending the authority of the documents that they cited. In the controversies with the reformers, who rejected entirely the authority and the methods of the scholastics, Catholic authors and controversialists were obliged to fix their attention upon the scriptures and on the historical side of theology as evidenced in the doctrines and usages of the early centuries. The revival, too, at this period of the older religious orders, particularly the Benedictines and the Dominicans, and the establishment of new bodies such as the Jesuits and the Oratorians, were in the highest degree providential. It gave to the Church the services of trained and devoted scholars, who were free to devote all their energies to the defense of Catholic interests. In the remarkable theological movement of the 16th century, Spain and Italy held the leading place. The University of Salamanca contended with the Collegium Romanum for the supremacy once yielded freely to the theological faculty of Paris. The founder of the new school of theology, which had its seat in Salamanca, but which exercised a very considerable influence on the Jesuit teachers in Rome, Ingolstadt, and Prague, was the Dominican Francis of Vittoria, 1480-1546. Realizing the necessity of the age better than most of his contemporaries, he put to an end the useless discussions and degenerate style of his immediate predecessors, reintroduced the Summa of St. Thomas, insisted on supplementing it by a close study of the scriptures and the writings of the fathers, and inaugurated a new style of theological Latinity, freed both from the barbarisms of the later scholastics and the pedantry of the classical enthusiasts. Among the Catholic theologians of Germany who defended the church against the attacks of the reformers may be mentioned John Eck. 1486-1543, connected for the greater part of his life with the University of Ingolstadt, who in his publications proved himself the leading champion on the Catholic side against Luther, John Faber, 1478-1541, the friend of Erasmus and the staunch though moderate opponent of Luther and Zwingli, whose work, Malleus Hereticorum, 1524, secure for him the title of the Hammer of Heretics, John Cotchilus, 1479-1552, who published more than two hundred treatises against the reformers, nearly all of which suffered from the haste and temper in which they were prepared. John Gripper, 1503-59, whose early training as a lawyer led him at first to favor proposed compromises, hardly compatible with Catholic doctrine, but who labored earnestly to save Cologne for the Catholic Church. John Noss, 1534-90, the Franciscan Bishop of Brixen, and the blessed Peter Canisius, S.J., 1521-97, who did more than any other man to save the entire German nation from falling under the sway of Lutheranism, thereby meriting the title of the second apostle of Germany. Tomasco de Vio, 
1469-1534, surnamed Cajetan, from his place of birth, Gaeta, joined the Dominicans at an early age, taught at Padua and Pavia, and was elected general of his order, 1508. Seven years later he was created cardinal, and was entrusted with a mission to Germany, 1518, in the course of which he sought vainly to procure the submission of Luther. During the closing years of his life, he acted as one of the principal advisers of Clement VII. By his example and advice, he did much to revive theological studies amongst the Dominicans, and to recall them to the study of St. Thomas. As a theologian and an exegetist, he showed himself to be a man of great ability and judgment, sometimes slightly erratic and novel in his theories, while from the point of view of style, he was vastly superior to most of his predecessors. His principal works are the Commentary on St. Thomas, 1507-22, to and his explanations of nearly all the books of the Old and New Testament. Ambrosius Catharinus, 1487-1553, was born at Siena, graduated a doctor of canon and civil law at the age of sixteen, pleaded as a lawyer in the consistorial court of Leo X, joined the Dominicans at an advanced age, and took a prominent part in the discussions at the earlier sessions of the Council of Trent was appointed bishop in 1546, and died in 1553, when, as it is said, he was on the point of receiving the cardinal's hat. Catharinus was a keen controversialist, but as a theologian he was brilliant rather than solid. His strong leaning toward novelties brought him into conflict with Cajetan, and in fact with the whole Dominican order, the most cherished opinions of which he loved to attack. Dominic Soto, 1494-1560, was a student of Alcala in Paris, joined the Dominicans in 1524, taught theology at Salamanca from 1532 to 1545, when he went to the Council of Trent, where his services were invaluable, especially on the question of grace and justification, acted for a time as confessor to Charles V, and returned finally to his chair at Salamanca. He was the last of the great commentators on the sentences of Peter Lombard. His principal works were De Natura et Gratia, written for the information of the Fathers of Trent, and De Justitia et Jure, 1556. Another of the distinguished Spanish Dominicans of this period was Melchior Cano, 1509-60, who had as his professor at Salamanca, Francis of Vittoria. He taught at Alcalca and Salamanca, accompanied Soto to the Council of Trent, was appointed bishop, but resigned almost immediately, and served for some time as provincial of the Dominicans. His greatest work was the De Locus Theologicus, 1563, in which, as a kind of introduction to theology, he endeavored to establish scientifically the foundations of theological science. He discusses the ten loci, or sources which he enumerates, namely, Scripture, Tradition, the Catholic Church, the Councils, the Fathers, the Roman Church, the Scholastics, Reason, the Authority of Philosophers, and the Authority of Historians. His style is simple, concise, and elegant. Robert Bellarmine, 1542-1621, was born in Tuscany, joined the Society of Jesus, 1560, studied at the Collegium Romanum and at Louvain, where he taught for some time, was recalled to Rome to assume charge of the new chair of controversy in the Collegium Romanum, took a prominent part in the preparation of the Clementine edition of the Vulgate, in the Congregatio de Exilis, and in the trial of Galileo, engaged in controversy with James I of England in regard to the Catholic oath, was created Cardinal, 1599, and appointed Archbishop of Capua, 1602. Cardinal Bellarmine was a deeply religious man, severe only with himself, 
an indefatigable student always anxious to be just to his opponents and specially gifted as a lecturer and writer his greatest work was undoubtedly the disputationes de controversis christiane fidei articulis in which he displayed a most minute and accurate knowledge of the religious tenets of all the sects of the reformers the book created such an enormous sensation in europe at the time that special lecturers were employed at some of the protestant universities to undertake its refutation his commentary on the psalms and the catechism prepared by him at the request of clement the eighth also deserve special notice the last complete edition of his writings was published at paris in eighteen seventy francis suarez fifteen forty eight to sixteen seventeen was born at granada joined the society of jesus in salamanca fifteen sixty four and taught at valladolid rome alcala salamanca and cumbra like bellarmine suarez was a man of great personal piety well versed in the writings of the fathers and in the literature of the reformers his works are clear and well arranged but somewhat too diffuse the last edition vives of his works was published at paris eighteen fifty six to sixty one john de lugo fifteen eighty three to sixteen sixty was born at madrid went to salamanca to study law and there joined the jesuits he lectured first at valladolid and later on at rome where he attracted crowds of students and he was created cardinal in sixteen forty three in his works he has covered practically the entire field of dogmatic and moral theology the best known are perhaps de justicia et jure and his treatises on the incarnation the sacraments the eucharist and the sacrifice of the mass the last edition of his published works was issued at paris eighteen sixty eight to nine dionysius petophius petua fifteen eighty three to sixteen fifty two was born at orleans studied arts and theology at paris entered the society of jesus sixteen o five and taught theology at paris for twenty two years he was one of the best known and most respected scholars of his age quite apart from his merits as a theologian his works on chronology notably the de doctrina temporum and the tabulae chronologicae would have been sufficient to place him in the first rank of the scholars of his period in theology he is chiefly remarkable for the introduction and application of the historical method in his discussion of dogma and hence he is referred to rightly as the father of the history of dogma his principal theological work is the dogmata theologica sixteen forty four to fifty the splendid example of a scientific treatment of moral theology set by st thomas produced very little effect during the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries for the simple reason that the sentences and not the summa was the text-book used generally in the schools following along the lines marked out by raymond of pinafort in his summa de poenitentia et matrimonio twelve thirty five a large number of summae or manuals for the use of confessors were published during the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries the last of them being that of sylvester prierias one of the earliest opponents of luther one of the few writers of this period who undertook to give a scientific explanation of moral principles is st antoninus thirteen eighty nine to fourteen fifty nine the dominican archbishop of florence in his summa theologica moralis the rejection of the sentences in favour of the summa and the reformed decrees of the council of trent gave a new impetus to the study of moral theology during the sixteenth and seventeenth centuries most of the great writers of this period gregory of valencia fifteen fifty to sixteen o three vasquez fifteen forty nine to sixteen o four lesius fifteen fifty four to sixteen twenty three banez fifteen twenty eight to sixteen o four 
Medina, 1527 to 81, Sanchez, 1550 to 1610, Suarez and de Logo devoted special attention to the underlying principles of moral theology, and in some cases to their practical application. The De Poentencia and the Responsa Moralia of de Lugo served as models of what might be called mixed treatment, partly scientific and partly casastical. The Theologia Moralis of the Jesuit writer Paul Lehman, 1574-1635, the Instructio Sacerdotum of Cardinal Toledo, and the Medulla Theologiae Moralis of Hermann Busenbaum, 1600-68, which went through forty editions in his own lifetime, may be cited as examples of this method. The controversy regarding probabilism did not assume a serious aspect till the rise in condemnation of Jansenism. During this period, the enemies of the Jesuits pointed to the approval given to probabilism by the followers of the society as a proof of the laxity of view introduced by Jesuit theologians. Whatever may be said of the system, one thing is certain, namely, that the Jesuit theologians were not the first to put it forward. It was followed in practice long before the institution of the Society of Jesus, was enunciated clearly enough as a theory by the Spanish Dominican Bartholomew Medina, 1527-81, and was adopted, at least in their solution to particular cases, by most of the great writers during the latter half of the 16th and the first half of the 17th centuries. Amongst the most notable writers on ascetical theology of this period were St. Ignatius of Loyola, the author of the Spiritual Exercises, St. Teresa, 1515-82, the zealous reformer of the Carmelites, St. John of God, 1495-1550, the founder of the Brothers of St. John of God, the Dominican Louis of Granada, 1504-88, St. Francis de Sales, 1567-1622, the two Jesuit writers, Alfonso Rodriguez, 1526-1616, and Louis de Ponte, 1554-1624, and Jean-Jacques Allier, 1608-57, the founder of the Sulpicians. Many causes combined to bring about a great revival in scriptural studies. The humanist movement ensured that commentators would bring to their task a ready knowledge of Greek and a critical appreciation of the age and value of manuscripts. The study of Hebrew was taken up enthusiastically by scholars like Ruchlin and was rendered comparatively easy by the grammars and dictionaries published by Ruchlin, Santas, Pagnino, Pelican, and Cardinal Bellarmine. The contention of the early reformers that the Bible was the sole source of divine revelation, though never accepted by Catholic scholars, necessitated a close study of the words and literal meaning of the sacred text. In opposition to the private interpretation of the reformers, Catholics contended that the teaching authority of the Church and the interpretation of the Fathers were the only sure guides. The distinction between deuterocanonical and protocanonical books was ended for Catholics by the decision of the Council of Trent, attributing to both equal authority. The question of the extent of inspiration was left by the Council of Trent practically in the position in which it stood when the Council of Florence defined that God was the author of the sacred books. Many writers were inclined to hold the view that the divine assistance extended to the style and the words, while others rejected verbal inspiration. A few Catholic scholars, for example, Lessius and Hamel, seemed to maintain that a book composed by human industry and without the assistance of the Holy Ghost might be regarded as inspired, if afterwards the Holy Ghost testified that it contained no errors. Since the Vatican Council, such a view is no longer tenable. 
the activity in the field of scriptural studies is witnessed too by the addition of the greek and latin texts of the new testament prepared by erasmus by the complutensian polyglot published under the direction of cardinal ximenez fifteen fourteen to seventeen to be followed by similar publications at antwerp fifteen sixty nine to seventy two and at paris sixteen twenty eight to forty five by the addition of the septuagint at the command of sixtus v and the addition of the vulgate under clement the eighth amongst the great catholic commentators of the age may be mentioned cardinal cajetan died fifteen thirty four the dominican santos pagnino died fifteen forty one cornelius jansen fifteen seventy six the jesuit john maldonatus died fifteen eighty three whose commentary on the four gospels is still unrivalled william estius died sixteen thirteen professor at douay whose views on grace were not unaffected by the controversies then raging at louvain and cornelius a lapide s j died sixteen seventy three professor at louvain in rome who published an excellent commentary on the entire scriptures ecclesiastical history profited largely from the humanist movement which brought to light many new documents and tended to awaken a spirit of scholarly criticism the contention put forward by the reformers that primitive christianity had been completely corrupted by semi-pagan novelties during the middle ages made it imperative on catholic scholars to direct their attention to the practices and teaching of the early centuries new editions of the writings of the fathers were prepared by the dominican jesuits and by the benedictines of st mar the attempt made by the magdeburg centuriators to justify lutheranism at the bar of history called forth the annales ecclesiastici of cardinal baronius fifteen thirty eight to sixteen o seven these annals dealt with the history of the church from the beginning till the year eleven ninety eight the work was continued by the oratorians rinaldus and Lederci, by Desponde, Zoius, and Augustine Thiner. The history of the popes was written by the Augustinian Penvinio, died 1568, and by the Dominican Siaconius, died 1599. Hagiographical studies were pursued by Sirius, died 1578, and by the Jesuit Herbert Eroswide, 1569-1629. It was the latter who first conceived the plan of publishing the lives of the saints in one series, he died without having done much except to collect an immense mass of materials the scheme was however taken up by other members of the society notably john van boland bolandus fifteen ninety six to sixteen sixty five godfrey hinschen sixteen o one to eighty one and daniel von papenbroek papenbroch sixteen twenty eight to seventeen fourteen these were the first of the bolandists and the first volume of the acta sanctorum appeared in sixteen forty three End of section 25